The current surge in global gas prices is likely to ameliorate a bit in the summer. And indeed, according to our Secretary of State, it's going to be one of those temporary events in energy markets. And the task at the moment is really to weather the storm, uh, wait for that storm to pass, and then energy prices will fall back in the summer or the autumn, or certainly next year. And so the way to deal with the current crisis is to lend everybody 200 quid, knowing that they'll be able to pay back the 200 quid over the subsequent years because they'll be paying from lower bills overall because those gas prices have fallen back. So there are some reasons for thinking that all of this is temporary just as there were some reasons why the Bank of England thought that inflation would be temporary. It is true that the gas price itself has gone up as a result partly of what the Russians have been up to. They've honoured all their long-term contracts into Europe, but in the voluntary wholesale gas markets, the spot markets, they voluntarily decided not to supply any more gas. It's also true that it's been a very quiet period for wind and that means that more gas has needed to be burned to back up the intermittency of wind and storage is low and there are lots of issues from the um, coronavirus pandemic and the lockdowns and there are some particular reasons why demand is especially high in China and in the Far East. Many of those things are likely indeed, to get a bit easier. But on the other hand, none of that's certain. And there are some reasons which point in a rather different direction, both about gas per se, but more importantly about energy and in particular electricity prices. Whilst it is true that the Russian position may ameliorate, they may invade or they may not in the next few weeks. You know, there have been problems in the past in Ukraine and Russia still needs to sell the gas. And it may be that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline gets the go ahead and yet more Russian gas pumps its way into Europe. That's one thing that might happen. Another thing that might happen is that the demands for gas uh, particularly in the Far East, may ease away. But the downside of that is the corollary of lower gas demand is more coal burning and more pollution and more climate change going forward. But none of those are necessarily going to happen and we could be in for a long haul on the gas front. But it's a great mistake to think that just because the gas price may or indeed may not go down later this year, that energy prices are going to go down as well. That's an illusion because it doesn't take into account what's really driving those energy prices, and in particular, how the net zero strategies play out into energy markets. Now, be in no doubt that decarbonisation is a crucial thing to do, and nothing that I'm going to suggest, suggests we shouldn't do it. But I'm in that rather difficult group of people who think that one should tell the truth and spell out what the cost of doing something is 
and then explain why it needs doing, rather than pretend that the costs are low or negligible, and therefore it's a kind of no-brainer, a cheap option, which will happen anyway going forward. Recall we're on a fast track to decarbonise the entirety of the power sector, the electricity sector, by 235. That's 13 years from today. Now, why might the transition to net zero continue to drive up energy prices, even if the temporary extraordinary gas prices ease back a bit? Well, the answer goes in two directions. The first one is just to say, you know, Think about this intuitively. This is the massive transition of an overwhelmingly fossil fuel dominated economy. Almost everything you buy, every service you use, all the plastics, all these other consumer goods, these things are all, as they say, soaked in carbon. And our plan is on a fast track to completely transform that economy to one where fossil fuels are the exception rather than the rule. Globally, by the way, fossil fuels are 80% of total energy uh, supplies. So to make that transition on a fast track, to switch from one economy to another, is almost certainly going to involve an enormous amount of cost. But it's more than that. It's already the case that net zero is causing quite a lot of impact on our bills. So, for example, you're paying about 200 quid, something like that, already for legacy renewable subsidies. That's not looking forward to future costs, that's just dealing with the costs of the past. And as I set out in the Cost of Energy Review, that juggernaut of past costs is going to continue, to which will be added, no doubt, RABs for nuclear power and the costs of the intermittency of trying to run a system on 40 gigawatts plus of offshore wind. And again, it may be highly desirable to build offshore wind, to build lots of intermittent renewables, but it is naive and wrong to suggest that we just look at the costs of generation for those assets without thinking about the costs of intermittency imposed on the rest of the system by building out that wind. You know, when the wind doesn't blow, we need something else. That, after all, has been one of the reasons why the gas crisis has been what it has been this winter. It was a low wind period, and that may be more or less likely in the future. So the paradox of the shift towards renewables is that in the short term, it may mean more gas rather than less. And what's more, it may mean more intermittent gas demand. You need the gas when the wind doesn't blow, when it's intermittent. And that makes the cost of supplying the gas higher, more volatile, and makes the role of volatile spot markets more central to what's been going on. So if we're going to have lots of intermittent stuff, and before we have the technologies which are at least a decade away or more for dealing with not day-to-day fluctuations in wind output, but those blank periods in winter when demand is high and wind supply might be very low, these kind of costs are going to come onto our system and they're higher than running baseload gas. 
But that's just a bit of it. And of course, if the wind and other intermittent generators paid equivalent firm power, again, as I said out in the cost of energy review, then um, we would see just how high those costs are. And we'd realise that this stuff is genuinely more expensive, at least in the short run, to the fossil fuel alternatives. But there's much more to come. You know, you're not just going to be asked to pay for that gas and pay for those legacy subsidies and the new subsidies going forward. You're going to have to pay for the networks designed to handle disaggregated, decentralised, small-scale generation at the periphery of systems. We need a new energy system to deal with this. We need an offshore grid and an onshore grid. We need a grid at the local level fit for car charging. None of that comes cheap. And then there's the cost of the energy efficiency measures we need to apply to houses. There's the cost of the transition from gas central heating, uh, which the UK is particularly uh, based upon. Um, and a host of other costs, smart meters, all sorts of things coming down the track. Now, again, these are all investments which will have some benefits and some of these investments may reduce other costs but they're going to cost nevertheless and the British approach has been to put this onto the use of system charges all this stuff and that's on your bill and mine. So the question comes not whether there are higher costs but who's going to pay them. Is it going to be taxpayers or is it going to be customers? Are customers going to be willing or even able to pay the bills that are coming? And this is not clear. People just think, oh, just borrow it from the future. So, you know, we dump the pollution on them from our carbon intensive ways. Oh, and we charge them the costs of cleaning up the mess and decarbonizing going forward. That doesn't seem to me a particularly good intergenerational option. And the reality will be that we'll have to put up taxes and there's nothing wrong with putting up taxes per se, but again, one should be honest and say, yep, yeah, uh, these are the taxes that follow to pay for the costs of the net zero strategy, which we've all decided to pursue. So when you hear the Secretary of State, and indeed when you hear Ofgem suggest that uh, the £200 you've been loaned to keep your bill down this year will be relatively easy to pay back next year, the answer is, it's far from clear. Don't bank on energy prices falling anytime soon. Do bank on having to pay that £200 and do bank on a lot more costs to come. That's the reality. That's what politicians should tell us. And regulation should assume not a temporary blip caused by gas prices, but a fundamental rethink of the way in which we look at our energy system, the way we pay our bills, and the role of taxation in the total framework. Honesty, shining the torch on what's really going on, is the best way to build a consensus around the kinds of changes which will have to be made if we're to make any serious dent into climate change. Thank you.